In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing lessons learned from a church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security Academy, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2020 Glorious Church of God in Christ Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible as we always do. This one is Isaiah 5, verse 11, and it reads like this, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. Good verse for us today because very likely alcohol was a contributing factor to this murder that took place at this church. And, uh, you know, it's just something that we have to be aware of is when we're running different programs at our churches that deal with people that struggle with addiction and alcoholism, there is a risk that comes with that. And then we need to be prepared for that risk the best we can. Before we continue, I want to remind you to jump into the comment section, get the print off for this program, and then use that to maintain, a, you know, well, continue your conversation with team members about steps you may take to avoid this kind of situation. All right, so let's jump into the details of it. Um, a glorious Church of God in Christ in Brooklyn is an inner city congregation that has been the beacon of hope to the downtown and the down and out people for a long time. Edward James, his uh, nickname is Swan, um, had been an alcoholic living in the streets of Brooklyn in um, New York City. Uh, then the church helped him find God and delivered him from alcohol. He lived the rest of his life helping others to overcome addiction and drugs and alcohol, uh, as well as helping the homeless and the elderly. Um, this continued. Um, um, he would provide food and clothing. Um, he was also a caretaker at the church. Uh, Swanson helped uh, the down and out, which led to his death at, the t at August of 2020. So basically, this is what happened. One of the people Swan was helping was a drug addict that lived in his car in the Bronx. He needed a place to keep his, the, the homeless guy needed a place to keep his belongings, so the church allowed him to store some of his things at the church. On August 31st, 2020, the man tried to enter to the church late in the afternoon. Swan was working at the, the he, Halsley Street entrance. He was working one of the entrances. Um, for some reason, he told the man that he could not come in at the time. The man insisted, and Swan wouldn't budge. Uh, it may have been because of signs of alcohol or under the influence of drugs. Um, we don't know for sure because Swan... Uh, did not survive to tell us what actually happened. Um, all right, so we do know that it was that time of day where they were locking up the building for the night, so it was too late to let the other man in. The man had a gun, gun, handgun. He became angry, pulled it out. Swan tried to run away into the vestibule. The man fired the gun, hitting Swan four times in the back. Uh, then he fled. Somehow Swan managed to get up to the second floor where he co collapsed. That's how the EMTs found him, by following the trail of blood. He was pronounced dead at the hospital. A witness, seeing him being carried out on a stretcher, said he had a big hole in his back. 
Um, the shooter, who was tw uh, 39 at the time, had a criminal history going back more than a decade. In 2020, a charge of criminal possession of a loaded firearm had been added to the murder charge. Uh, Ten years earlier, 2010, he had been sentenced um, to prison for, among other things, criminal possession of a weapon second degree. Um, there, were there were other charges related to it, but on appeal or whatever, it, it sounds like from the way Wesley explains it here, basically it was a plea deal. So he did serve time in 2010 for that weapons charge, but the other charges were dropped. Okay, so the aftermath, Edward Swan, James, 62, de died from his wounds. So Wesley's got a few things here that I want to cover really quick that could have mitigated um, this you know, this shooting to some extent. Maybe we never know, you know, determined uh, killer is a determined killer. And this is, but before I get into that, what I want to do is I want to kind of go back to the last one we talked about. Last one we talked about is when we're having these, these supervised visits at churches and just extremely how dangerous they are. And my recommend, recommendation, the lessons learned was churches should not be allowing this to occur. But in this case, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. Here is a church that is actively re reaching out to addicts of alcohol and drugs. They're actively serving homeless. And it's th their mission, really. It's really their mission. And so what we have to do is instead of saying, well, we shouldn't be doing that, um, we definitely should be doing that. But we do want to make sure that we're adding levels of safety and security as much as we possibly can. Is it going to prevent these incidents from happening? Probably not. I mean, there is a real risk to being a, a type of missionary, if you will. And, you know, just think back to the apostles, right? A lot of them had, you know, were killed in the end. And the, the list of martyrs from then until now is, you know, countless. It's many, many. And so we can't say, hey, we're not going to do ministry work because of, you know, the danger. Instead, we have to say, okay, there's this danger, but what are the steps we can take? And then the second lessons learned, after I get through what I'm going to cover, what Wesley covered, is I want to talk about verbal de-escalation and how this, this really speaks to verbal de-escalation. But real quick, let's just go through some protective measures that may have mitigated this situation. The first one is having a security uh, presence inside and outside the building. Swan was by himself while he's locking up the building, and um, he's really unprepared to deal with a homeless person insisting on getting inside the building when really it's time to lock up the building. If there was a security presence, if there would have been a safety team member working, maybe the presence of two people, one of those people being safety team member, would have um, dissuaded this person from using deadly force against Swan. Other things that come into handy. Security cameras outside, very good. In this case, it probably would have just helped collect additional evidence of how the situation occurred, unfolded, and served as evidence in court for the conviction of this guy, though it was a successful conviction anyway. But security cameras can also be a deterrent to some degree. Um, it helps reduce the lazy criminal or the criminal that doesn't want to get caught, right? So they know there's cameras and so they're, they're not going to take 
do something stupid. They're not going to break the law while it's being recorded. However, we know that sometimes, even with the cameras, people do things, right? We've, that's why we see so much video of crimes um, that have been recorded. But that can help. Um, know the risk of the people you help. I believe he probably knew that. He was from that world. They have been serving um, those people um, for a long time. He understood what was going on there. Watching a person's demeanor and be alert for signs of ad agitation and anger. We'll talk about that a little bit more um, in a minute. Watchful for weapons, of course, especially with people who are security risks. Stay close enough um, to be able to fend off weapons. So one of the situations we have here is there's no firearms allowed. This is New York City. And so a legal person would not be able to have a weapon. And I don't know if pepper spray is legal. I don't know if tasers are legal in New York City. I imagine a lot of things are not um, available. If you are from that area, you probably need to research what you can do legally. Um, having backup, that kind of goes back to that security presence. Always having two people. Um, to close up the church is a very good idea. You know, I think about the military, battle buddies, you know, you went everywhere with somebody. And the idea is, is that there you could help each other should something bad occur. And then calling 911 sooner than later. So those are Wesley's suggestions. You've heard a lot of these before. They have merit and we should do those things, especially if we are a, a, we're accepting a certain level of risk by serving a community that can be dangerous because of drugs, alcohol, mental illness, homelessness, all those kind of things, then we need to have a very real plan and be deliberate about creating a safe situation for the people we're helping, but also for our staff and volunteers and all that good stuff. What I want to focus on is this, is I want to focus on the verbal de-escalation. And I... And I, I, I'm actually struggling with exactly how to communicate it to you. Um, but what I'm going to say is this, is that sometimes, I've seen this with parents, I've seen this with law enforcement officers, sometimes what happens is we're enforcing a rule, if you will, or we're enforcing a decision that we've made early on, and we don't consider the possibility of changing the decision we made. And so I'll give you an example. You know, you're, a lot of you are parents out there or at least are friends with parents. You've seen this play out one time before, probably at least once, where a kid says, you know, hey, can I go sleep over at Bobby's house? And the parents, for whatever reason, say no. And it's like, but, you know, it's, and then another piece of information comes out. Well, his parents are going to be home, so we're not going to get into trouble. Okay, no, you can't go. I already said no, no. All right, but it happens to be his birthday. I said no. All my friends are going to be there. I said no. <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. And instead of using additional pieces of information to influ influence a proper decision, we're being... Not saying that no all that you know no is always the improper decision, but you hear what I'm saying. Additional information can change or should be able to change that no to a yes if it's appropriate. The same thing kind of happens, I've seen this with law enforcement. You know, they'll listen, you know, depending on the experience of the police officer. Um, they'll listen for a, a period, then they'll make a decision, and then that's the decision. End of story, that decision will not be changed even though additional information comes in. And I've seen rookies, 
you know, write tickets that probably shouldn't have been written after the additional information came in, arrests that maybe shouldn't have occurred uh, once that additional information comes in. And it's just that fixed mindset that we can get into. In this case, so you're probably wondering where I'm going with it. In this case here is you have this, you have swans saying, we're closing the door. It's time to lock up. You need to come back tomorrow, whatever. And that's fine. You know, that sounds reasonable and right. Since we don't know the details of this, maybe I shouldn't talk about this situation. I'm just going to kind of use an example and kind of make some assumptions here. My, one of my assumptions is simply this, is there was a verbal exchange that occurred and in that verbal exchange, things continued to get more and more out of hand. The, um, the killer became more and more aggravated, more and more insistent in all those kind of things. But Swan possibly may have already made his decision. And despite the fact that he's seeing this person become more and more agitated, more and more upset, more angry, possibly other physical cues, right? Where he's, you know, maybe clenching his teeth and his fists, his face is getting, you know, bright red and, and it's, you know, and it's, and he's sweating more and, you know, and the words that he are saying, maybe they even became threatening. We have to, as safety team members, real, you know, start to ask a simple question. Okay, I could end up here, you know, 30 minutes longer if I let him in to go get his stuff or have access to his stuff. Meanwhile, I could call the police and I could have police respond. There's other things that maybe are a better choice than just insisting that I'm shutting and locking this door. And... And maybe if he would have said, you know, this no is not worth where it's going. So therefore, I need to adjust. And I guess that's what I'm ultimately getting at in this. And maybe this isn't the best, you know, the best explanation of what I'm trying to say. Uh, maybe in a future podcast, I'll have to say it in, in, in a better way. But ultimately, what I'm saying is this. When we're dealing with a potentially violent person, and we're using our verbal de-escalation skills, and we're trying to de-escalate something, it, you may fail. De-escalation may fail. And that person could get more and more angry, more and more agitated, more and more physically expressive, and all those kind of things. What we have to be able to do is, hey, you know, right now we're arguing over locking this door, or we're arguing over how their hot dog was undercooked for their, you know, Wednesday night dinner or whatever it is and saying, okay, is this all really worth it? And so we need to back up, reassess the situation, and then try a different tactic. Now that might be a different verbal de-escalation tactic. That may be allowing somebody to do something that they technically shouldn't do. It's against the rules, you know. You don't get a second free hot dog. Maybe we give them a second free hot dog. I don't know. But the thing is, is this, is we're avoiding the violence is what we're trying to do. So our job isn't necessarily to enforce the rules and, you know, it's like, oh, it's a $2 hot dog and you didn't pay your $2, but you're complaining because your hot dog was undercooked and, or whatever it is. You know, you see what I'm saying? It's, a, it's about the safety of the situation. We have to be aware enough of the, the hints or the cues of potential violence to say, hey, all right, none of this is worth this. <laughs> and so let's shift our tactics 
And while you feel like you might be tucking tail a little bit, um, swallow your pride, be humble, and realize that your ultimate goal is the safety of the church, the safety of the congregation, and potentially your safety. And not everything is worth it. You know, when we talk about robberies, you've probably heard of this a million times, you know, convenience stores and the the bank and all that kind of stuff. When somebody comes in and says, this is a holdup, a lot of them are instructed, hey, give them the money in the cash register. While your sense of justice might say, that's horrible. You know, I'd hate to have to do that. I get that. But your life is not worth the hot dog. Your life is not worth the money in the register. Your life is not worth all, you know, all these other things. This guy getting access to his stuff, even if he was drunk and high and acting weird, hey, go. No problem. Come on in. Um, you know, sorry, I, I didn't understand who you were. Come on in. Let's get you your stuff. You know, let's go over here. Meanwhile, 911, hey, I have a, you know, a disruptive person. I told them to leave. They wouldn't leave. Um, and so, and then, you know, let it play out from there. And at least you're going to survive that encounter. Um, and hopefully nobody gets hurt in that situation. But anyway, hopefully that makes sense to you. Um, I hope it does. Like I said, maybe I'm going to have to do another program where we get a little bit deeper into that topic or rather the course, right? Getting into the course. Our course definitely covers verbal de-escalation. Um, on our online, our Sunday Zoom meetings, we talk about these more complex situations, how we might work them out. Something for you to consider if you haven't already signed up for our certification program. You might want to check it out. There's a lot of good information and uh, we have a lot of good discussions on some of these more complex issues. Other than that, if you like this video, please like it, share, comment, all that good stuff. It lets the computer know, the algorithm know that this is a worthwhile video to watch or a podcast to listen to. It's been a, it's been a long time since I've gotten any good positive reviews on iTunes and all these other things. I, I could really use some good positive reviews if you're listening on podcasts. Please just go in there. Um, iTunes cares about that kind of stuff. So have a new review would be very I'd be very happy if you'd do that. Give me five stars, you know, that kind of stuff. Other than that, thank you so much for joining us this week and hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.